Welcome to the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast, bringing you open and honest conversations about resources in Tuscarawas County. Now here's your host, Jody Salvo. Hi, this is Jody Salvo. Welcome to today's podcast from the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition. Today we're going to talk, be talking with some guests about the challenges of recovery through COVID-19. So with me today, I have Travis Garrett, I have Amanda Rich Richmond, and I have um, Nick Meredith. Did I miss that as up or was I? Okay, I was good. Sorry, guys. Um, I struggle with names. Y'all are laughing at me right now. Listen, I am so glad you guys are here today. Um, I just want to start by saying one thing before we get started. We have had a 283% increase in overdose deaths in Tuscarawas County um, in the first six months of 2020. Now, clearly 2020 has just been a hellacious year about everything. Um, but that stat came out last week and I swear it just took my breath away. It was one of those things that you're like, oh my goodness, 283%. We are almost exceeding it six months into this year of where we were at in overdose deaths and the height of the opioid epidemic in Tuscarawas County. So in 2017, we had 23 deaths recorded over a one-year time span. I know as of today, we're at 18 um, deaths and and what we're not even into August yet. So I really appreciate y'all being here. Um, Our three guests here are in recovery and I want to say congratulations for that. Um, And that's awesome. I know it takes a lot of work and effort and intentionality. um, So I appreciate that. Um, But what I'd love you to do is just kind of, I'll start with Nick, who you are, what you do, kind of uh, just a little bit about yourself. And then we'll kind of get into a little nutty, uh, the gritty, what, what do I want to say? The nitty gritty on this issue. So Nick, I'm going to start with you. All right. Like Jody said, I'm a, I'm Nick Meredith. I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. Um, I'm currently pursuing a career in chemical dependency. And, um, so I'm 26 years old. I've been clean for two and a half years. And, um, I also just want to say thank you for the opportunity for this. I'm so glad you're here. Honestly. Thank you. Uh, I'm Amanda Richmond. Um, I have 21 months clean. Congrats. Um, And you work for? And I work for PFCS. I'm a peer supporter. I start that on Monday. Awesome. Can you tell us what a peer supporter is? Because it's just someone that like basically walks with you on your journey. Awesome. uh, Shows your recovery. That's about it. Very Uh, cool. Okay. Thanks, Amanda. Uh, Travis Garrett, I just celebrated two years um, of recovery, uh, currently still laid off. I was a tow truck operator, but okay. um, Congrats. A, lot, a lot of the sales and, you know, things went down because of the epidemic. Um, so I haven't made it back to work yet. Okay. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, uh, and I also want to say thanks for the opportunity for having me. Here. Oh, sure. Yeah, same. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, I love that you guys are here today um, because um, the community agencies, actually today, we kind of had an emergency meeting, just the opiate task force kind of called some community agencies together, some leaders in the community. And we're all kind of like, what can we do on this particular issue? And, you know, so we get to what kind of strategies, what kind of efforts, what do we need to do? And I think the very first thing we need to do is help people understand addiction and kind of get a face um, 
to what addiction is. Get a person there so you can kind of understand, oh my goodness, addiction can happen to anybody. You know, mm-hmm. so I am going to ask if you guys wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about it, your story today, because I think it helps us understand, you know, how easy it can happen. And then really it's a fight after that, you know, um, so it's not easy let alone let's put a pandemic in there and all the challenges. And I'd like to, I kind of, we were talking outside a little bit. Um, I think everybody has been faced with just a ton of stuff with a pandemic, you know, losses, isolation, all kinds of stuff. And then you put on this thing called addiction, which just really kind of makes everything a million times worse. So um, where do you want to start there, Nick? I'll let you kind of so you, <clears throat> excuse me. So you want to kind of hear like a little bit where where I come from yeah, and how I ended up here. Come from into your recovery, and then how has this whole pandemic um, played out into that? So um, I'm just I was just an average kid from Tuscross County. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a pretty basic family. I mean, it wasn't it I, it wouldn't be your white picket fence family, but you know, I I came from a pretty good family. You know, I never really had too many needs as a kid, and. Uh, I feel like I was I was raised to be respectful, and um, if I would have listened to my parents and my grandparents, I probably would have been a really respectful, respected person in our community okay. um, from an early age. But uh, I kind of took my own path. Um, I had a child at 16 years old. Oh, my. <laughs> and... Um, so, like, responsibility was thrown at me at, at an early age. Oh, my goodness. And I've always been a rebellious person, so um, I can't. I kind of, like, ran away from home at that point because I didn't even know what to do with myself alone with trying to start a family and just deal with all these responsibilities I was throwing into my lap. And uh, I rebelled by hanging out with older people, staying with older people, and just doing whatever they was doing. Okay. Well, um, long story short, partying on the weekends with with peers turned into using heavier drugs like methamphetamines and heroin with, with 40, 50-year-old people when I was 19. Wow. And... Um, by the grace of God, I get to sit. I get to sit in seats like this today and, and tell people about my story. You know. Let me just kind of ask you a couple questions because I think this is great for audiences to hear. What substances did you start with? Um, I started with alcohol and marijuana. Okay, I only want to say that because a lot of times people think you know they go right to these hard drugs, and that's not how addiction usually happens, right? Absolutely not. Okay. I, I started using um, alcoholic beverages and marijuana at the age of 13. Um, I was basically, you know, I was basically allowed to do them things because I was at home. Okay. You know, like, um, it wasn't really that big of a deal because I wasn't out committing crimes, quote okay. unquote, yet. So, so I'm going to just throw some research in here just because I want audience members to hear this, okay? The earlier you consume a substance, and I'm going to talk alcohol, marijuana, your brain just is not developed yet. And there's a much more increased chance of addiction with that early initiation. So if someone waits till they're 21 where it's legal to drink and you don't have a family history, there's a great chance you're not going to have any problems with alcohol. 
you start at 13, 14, 15, 16 with alcohol, your brain just isn't developed yet. So you drink the alcohol, your brain likes it. If it likes it, you get this nice little dopamine rush and you want what? One more. You want more. And eventually you want harder. And harder. Yeah. So I, I think, <laughs> Nick, I just appreciate you saying that because I think, you know, it really kind of shows normal family, young initiation, addiction, like that happens, you know? So uh, I appreciate kind of sharing that bit of the story as well. Absolutely. Amanda, I'm going to go to you and we're going to kind of just, just talk a little bit about your stories and we'll kind of get into the impacts of this episode. Our pandemic on this. Okay. Um, I grew up in Carroll County. Okay. Um, I had some like early childhood traumas. Um, my family life was pretty strict. Um, my parents like really didn't let me do a whole lot. Uh, so when I turned 18, like it was free reign. You okay. know what I mean, um, I started drinking about 15, though, but like Nick had said, it was okay because I was at home. I wasn't like going to town on it. Um, but when I turned 18, like I was probably a full-blown alcoholic by 21. Okay. Did you have alcoholism in your family or not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely a hereditary thing. Yeah. Uh, and progressive because it was like off to the races at like 21. I started doing more cocaine uh, and pretty soon that was not enough. And I had been court ordered to like meetings. Uh, okay. That didn't stick. So I went back out. Uh, and then I got into like meth and heroin and it was just this horrible. I was homeless. Uh, uh. All that. The whole story. <laughs> um, but then I found recovery about 21 months ago. And oh. Uh, started actually working on it, not just like popping in and out. Yeah. Uh, life's what, good today. <laughs> what got you to the point where you got pretty serious about your recovery? Uh, to be honest, it's like every, it's like I get more serious about it every day, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I've had some like close friends, uh, pass away from this. Uh, like you said earlier, the rates are really high right now. Uh, people staying in. It's just let. It's just horrible. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I think I think as we go on, we'll probably yeah. cover a lot here today. Travis, how about yourself? Oh, now it's my turn. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Raised by a single mom, um, four boys, uh, grew up in Tuscross County, um, moved out, uh, when I was 16, um, and had, had my own place. Um, young, again. yeah, that, it was, it was because, you know, I, I moved out whenever I knew everything. Um, so I thought, um, and you know, like some other people were talking about the progression, it just, it was off to the races. Um, I tried to get my life back together. Um, actually had a really good job, um, moved up in management. Um, you know, and you had talked about, you know, what you had started off with. I had also started off early with alcohol and marijuana. Okay. Um, but later in life it progressed to, you know, needing more and wanting more and, you know, something to get, get you past that point that you've already been. Yeah. 
Um, and it just slowly deteriorated my life right in front of me. And I mean, it was just a progressive disease okay. um, that you just, it, it was hard to get away from. Um, something that helped me, you know, to actually, you, you just asked the question. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people that reached out, but something that really stuck out was um, all the, because uh, I was looking at prison time and actually um, got offered rehab instead. Okay. Um, so it was really nice to, at that place, um, I could be taught by people that had been down my road before. Um, you know, people like uh, Amanda and Nick that are in them positions right. that have lived that life that could shine light on somebody, you know, so like that myself. Peer to peer yes. is huge. Um, it's, it's really huge. Um, okay. It's different. You know, it's, you know, they talk about book smart and street smart. Um, they bring both aspects to the table. Very cool. Neat. So, guys, Tell me about this whole pandemic, um, because we know people in recovery are really having a rough time with this. So tell me why you think that is, or share with our audience some of the challenges that come with a pandemic and recovery. So I, um, I honestly think like our biggest challenges was, um, there wasn't a place for our, for people like us to fellowship. Okay. We're so like, we're so dependent um, as, as a community of recovery on each other mm-hmm. that when we were restricted the amount of, of communication that we could really have and being able to the fellowship with each other, other than just on the phone, it, it was hard to keep each other accountable. Yeah. Um, we, we wasn't able to like actually express how our feelings are because as just speaking for myself as an addict and an alcoholic, I'm a liar, cheat and a thief, you know? So that's, that's what my disease has done to me. So it's easy for me to lie to somebody and tell them I'm okay. Yeah. Especially on a phone or over a screen. Right. right. But, but if, but, but if somebody's looking at me, they can look at me and tell me that I'm and, and tell that I'm struggling yeah. without, without even having to say anything. So every day that we're picking up the phone and we're telling our sponsors that we're fine, we're really out here struggling, thinking about if are we going to pick up or are we going to pick up and use today? Or are we just going to put a bullet in the gun? You know, it's 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 hard. Nick, I love that you kind of brought this in. Talk to me about what a day in the life of someone in recovery looks like, you know, from that very early on until you go through life like there's a lot of intention, right? Um, so like very early in recovery, we're, we're lost, you know, we're just, we're just your average alley cat. We're looking for our next meal. We're looking for our, our next destination. We're, we're, we're looking for somebody just to love us. We don't have anything. We don't have anything to offer. So the rest of the community don't want nothing to do with us. So early in recovery, we, we it, it's really difficult because that's when we really start to find out who we are. And some of us don't like that. Okay. You know, it's, it's really uncomfortable. Okay. I really appreciate you because that's, that's just vulnerable and honest. Okay. Um, we do a lot of work in the community, the anti-drug coalition with the communities of faith, just kind of saying, look, when people are struggling with addiction, and really working to get clean and sober. That relationship is what we need. And I love that you said that because I can hear that recovery is about having intentional relationships, accountability, 
finding value and worth in a new way. You know what I mean? Your whole life has kind of changed at this point. So I think for listeners, it's important to understand the relationship we have with other people changes lives or keeps you clean and sober. Um, So I think that's just important for us to hear that. Do you normally do daily meetings, especially early in recovery? You know, what's accountability look like? Um, you know, see, like, a 12-step programs are based on suggestions. They suggest you to do 90 meetings in 90 days. Okay. Depending on how bad you want to use, you might have to go to two, three, four meetings a day if they're available. Yeah. Travis, what are you thinking? Um, <clears throat> how he said two, three, you know, four meetings a day. Um, I remember that. I remember having to get um, get more than one meeting in a day. Um, but then for me in that early recovery, um, the old mind state was, well, well, now I've got to drive, you know, 40 minutes, you know, 60 minutes out of my way just to get um, a meeting. Um, but if that's what I had to do, that's what I had to do. Because on the other side of the spectrum, I absolutely would have made that drive. Yeah. Um, so it's like what Nick says, how, you know, how much do you want it? And in early recovery, it, it is, it is rough. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I totally agree with, you know, everything that you just said. Um, but, you know, I hear stories. I, I don't know exactly how many I went to. I know I, I believe I hit 90 and 90, but I mean, I hear stories of people hitting, you know, 300 meetings wow. in, 90, in 90 days. Um, so for people that know they need to be at those meetings, now we got the pandemic and meetings were happening, right? You Correct. said there was one place that you could get a face-to-face? Uh, there was one, um, it was probably 40 minutes uh, north, and there was one probably 40 minutes south. Okay. Um, so, it, but it was a struggle, you know, to get, to not get back, backlash um, from people, you know, hearing about that. But it was nice to actually have that meeting to go to. Now, who was the backlash from? People in the recovery community, people out in? Both. Okay. It wasn't just, you know, one single person. Um, a lot of people were, um, well, if it's a government order, you know what I mean? Stay home and, or, you know, um, somebody like me, um, that's where I fell down that rabbit hole even further is whenever I isolated myself. Yeah. That's um, where those demons come out in isolation, huh? You know, Nick was talking about the accountability as far as being um, on the phone with somebody rather than in person with somebody. Um, in the in the beginning, and even to this day, um, I struggle. Um, I can ask for things. I can pray about it. Um, absolutely do. But for me, a lot of times, I need to be face-to-face with somebody. Um, and like you know, he was saying, it's always suggestions. You're never told yeah. to do anything. You're just suggested to do something. Okay. Amanda, what do you think going through the pandemic, whether working with people or just your own experience? Um, so they did the, the meetings, the virtual meetings, um, and I went to a few of those, and I had a very hard time sitting through it. Yeah. Um, it's way different than being in person. Uh, you know, you're sitting in your house, and you got kids over here, and uh, the TV on, and your phone's ringing, and there's just too many distractions. Uh and even to, like, sit in a quiet room uh, for work meetings, you know, it's just sure. difficult to to focus. Uh, it's much easier in person. So it was definitely a... Now, are the in-person meetings opening up? Yeah. Okay. So that's a little more helpful. Yeah. Um, and even levels of care. 
Oh it's, yeah, I, I didn't get out of my pajamas. It. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except when I had to go to work. So what other kind of stresses? Because I'm sure you guys know some of these people that might have been recently overdosing and having problems in the community. What do you think's add into this? Um, so <clears throat> there's like there's so many different factors that that been playing into uh the the levels of overdoses that we've been having because this pandemic, because it's just not about the accountability in the meetings. Like, yeah, that's, that's a big part for people that are relapsed and that's already been in the community. Right. But in reality, like me as being somebody that's from the street and lived off the street for the majority of his life, I had to say, take a sit back because I lost so many friends over this last year that I was personally like really close to, that I lost, I've lost count since February. You know what I mean? Like if I hear something that somebody that I grew up in, in my childhood with passed this week, I, I'll just, I like, I literally shed a tear for a minute, but then I got to keep moving because there's been so many, you know, and it's, it's really sad that it's come to that point because I'm, I'm, I'm a real empathetic person. Like I love my people, you know, but um, there's so many different things that play into this because we got, we got, we got, uh, things like people losing their jobs and getting laid off and um, you got like the stresses of bills and you got you got family stresses because you don't want to go home because you might give somebody with your that you live with uh, coronavirus and that could that could put them in a risky situation. There's so many different angles that it like somebody like myself, once I get overwhelmed, the only thing I want to do is escape. You know, like there's so many things that we have to abide by and and try to do to protect ourselves. Like it's easy to obsess over something like that and get overwhelmed. And the first thing my addict mind goes to is is to escape this. Okay, I love that you talk about that. And I'm just going to this is a personal example in my own life. When I am stressed, when I am tired. I act like the worst part of my mother. So mom, if you're out there, I'm just going to throw this out there. Honestly, I revert to like that just guttural who I am at a basic being when I'm stressed, I'm tired, anything's going on. Um, so I appreciate you saying, okay, bills, isolation, family stress, home stress. The tool that was in your toolbox for the longest was to escape, which is that substance use. So I think that's really important for people to hear. That's not the tool you've been using for the last two years, but it, it's that really easy second nature one to go to without accountability. So I think that's important for us to hear. And, uh, and right now in the pandemic, it's, it's hard for that too, because somebody that, you know, like myself, I've put a lot of tools in my toolbox, but somebody that's um, in early recovery right now, you know, that's the main, like you're talking, that's the main tool in their toolbox. Yeah, so let's escape. with let's... everything being shut down, it, it was harder for them to get out. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to where I went through a lot of different programs, um, actually had a caring um, probation officer that really helped. Um, and I, I loved that. Like I had so many people in my corner. Um, I was being held accountable for yeah. that, but I, I gained a lot of tools to use. Um, so I was, you know, grateful through the pandemic that, you know, I was able to, you know, open up a toolbox and that had more than one wrench in there. Cool. Um, so 
going through the pandemic now, you know, people in early recovery, all the meetings are getting shut down or you, you have nowhere to, you know, reach out to all the, you know, government facilities are closed. Yeah. Um, so it, it's been a struggle for so them. So accountability, I, I'm assuming probation, drug testing, you know, some of those things are probably helpful. I, absolutely. So like, I, I, I know I'll probably get like a, a lot of negative like thoughts about this and like feedback, but in, in reality, our court systems and our in our judicial system in Tuscross County saves a lot of people's lives. And I'm I'm one of them people, you know. Um, if it wasn't if it wasn't for Judge Tamakis and 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 my probation officer and the treatment team through PFCS like actually working with me and convincing me this is this was worth it, yeah. I wouldn't be able to sit here in a seat today. You know, if I wasn't looking at prison time and and seeing that and their treatment team actually showed me like, Hey, you have a second chance of life right here and you need to take it and run with it. Awesome. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to sit here. You know, it, I can't, I can sit here and tell you each and every single day that I, I did not want to go and take that drug test just because the man was telling me to go take it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. But in reality with, with us not being able, people like us, like not being able to go to the courthouse and look at our probation officers or or the short shortages of drug tests because they don't want people at the government buildings. It, it's hard for us to, to like have any kind of accountability for, from because without consequences, we don't learn. Sure. You know, without some kind of pain, we're never going to change. So like we need them consequences sometimes to, to get out of here. Yeah. You know, great. I'm, Thanks for sharing that. I remember whenever I first, uh, um, got in trouble. Um, I, I don't remember who it was that asked me. And the, the question they asked was like, well, how do you feel now? Um, knowing that your door's done been kicked in, you know, you're, you're looking at prison time, things like that. And I was like relieved. Um, it was finally a start to, end. A start yeah. to the, you know, okay. a new beginning. Awesome. You know, and, and like he was saying, the whole accountability. Um, and I, I even struggled after going to, you know, put into a, um, I call it a level one prison. You know, it was a minimum security rehab. Um, after dealing with that, I still struggled, but I learned so many tools within that facility um, and seen so much care and love from people that had been down my road. And like I seen people that had changed and bettered their lives. And I yeah. wanted that. I just got stuck into a, um, into a rabbit hole, like that just kept bringing me down. Um, but with like the PO and stuff, once I started, you know, giving him um, good rapport, you know, dropping them clean. Like I looked forward to that every week. That was like so much accountability. Yeah. And it just showed not only showed him in the courts, but it showed me that I can you do can better. Do this. Um, there is help out there if I just reach out for it. Um, so, Travis, I think there's some points for listeners to hear. One, you need you were looking for life to change. You just didn't know how to change it. Right. Correct. Because you were saying like you were looking for that second chance. So those end nasty consequences that you hated day one were probably really those turning points, right? Yes. Um, I think that's important for people to know because there's no addict that loves being in the place of an addict, right? I mean. Your past doesn't have to define your future. Exactly. Neat. Thanks for sharing that. 
What else do you think listeners need to know about addiction or about recovery or even how can people maybe not experiencing that or maybe not have family members or experience that do to help, like help in this situation? So I know as um, when I was sitting in at the last of my days of my addiction, I was sitting on the bench at Walmart, nowhere to go, cold. And I was telling myself, uh, I just want something different, you know, but the only thing I knew was everything I was comfortable with. Okay. Everything I was comfortable with was sitting right there, get, getting up, going and getting high, trying to get a hold of them, quote unquote, friends that I had. I would go out and rob and steal to get anything I could just to get a little bit of money so, so I could do what I knew best. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever been told was everything that, that I have and I know is in my comfort zone. Everything that I want's outside of it. Hmm. So I don't be scared to be uncomfortable. Don't be scared to lose to, to lose people um, that aren't healthy for you, that are toxic. Whether whether they're the only people you've ever had in your life, there's plenty of people out there that want to love you. Um, and I honestly... Um, if if you're just sick and tired, you know there's there there's always somebody that's been there that you can relate to. It's not hard. It's it, I mean it's not hard once you get through it. But that but that initial pain, just like ripping a bandaid off. You know there's a whole community of there's a whole community of us that are willing to love you. So supportive of each other, and it's a I got your back kind of community. Yeah, there's you know I. I I've, I got a personal relationship with both of these people I'm sitting beside today, and you know, um, it it just it's always amazing like the things you can overcome when whenever you're sober, you know, like just being able to deal with 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 the luggage that you've been dra- that you've been dragging around, getting rid of it, and just sitting down and actually having an intellectual conversation with somebody that knows who you really are, and being vulnerable with people is one of the best feelings in the world, you know? So takeaway on that is if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, there's not only great agencies, but there's great people that have been through this, want the best for you. We're willing to walk with you through it side by side, encourage you. Right. Absolutely. How about relapse? Because I have a feeling all three of you know people that have relapsed in the last six months. That's rough because there's part of the disease. It is part of the disease process, or it can be. Can I? Is that it, fair? It enough? can it be. It can be. It doesn't have to be. But I was going to say that yeah, relapse does I'm, not have to be a part of your recovery. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. But um, you know, relapse is definitely it's definitely a rough thing because. From from somebody that's that's seen the things that I have, when you see somebody that you love relapse, you never know if you're going to see that person again, and that's hard. You know, it's hard to know how bad that they want it and they still fail. Um, it's uh, it hurt it hurts my heart to watch people uh lose a battle, but uh. That just makes me grateful for the seat that's saved for me. You know, that at the end of the day, that makes me want it even more. I love your heart. Um, Nick, it's just kind of neat to hear. 
I brought up relapse because I do realize recovery absolutely does not have to involve relapse. But I do know watching the numbers, we've had the perfect storm to make relapse um, more likely than it probably normally would be for someone in recovery. So I also want our listeners to know if you know someone in recovery and they're dealing with all the stuff that has came with this pandemic, that loss of relationship, loss of jobs, even being stuck in a house, even with people you love, that can be stressful. But if you know someone that has struggled and relapsed during this time, you know, to know that doesn't define this situation either, you know, that there's help, you know, there's resources, there's community of support that's out there. So. Right. For sure. I definitely think, uh, recovery is possible no matter what. Absolutely. Uh, you just have to go find it. Like Travis had mentioned earlier, if you want it, you'll go get it. Yeah. So guys, is there anything else you'd want us to let our listeners know our community? Um, I know relapse is, with going through this pandemic right now, um, people don't have a lot of ways to reach out. Um, They're isolated inside their homes, um, might not have work. Um, The disease is so strong that once you've went through that toolbox and used in so many things, um, when you're not able to reach out to somebody and have a face-to-face relapse is possible. They say, they say you're not, if you're not working on recovery, you're working on a relapse, but with something that the world's going through right now, um, it makes it even that much harder. Um, you was talking about, um, at, at a young age, whenever you use that young age, what it does to your brain. Yeah. Um, like I'm no scientist, doctor, anything like that. I just know, um, like people would always ask me, like, how could you choose this over, you know, how could you choose your addiction over this? Or, um, th- it's hard. Um, it's not that we, that we're choosing one over another. It's just that we're, I was drawn to that. Like I just, I, I felt like I needed that to survive the day. Um, and addiction is just such a strong enemy of life. Um, that a lot of people don't get, um, and that's, and it is hard to explain if you don't, if you've not gone through it or you don't have a family member or someone close to you, you can't understand how much it kind of just hijacks your brain. And it's kind of that drug that that brain's seeking is just like the air that normally we're breathing. And I don't think that's just a hard concept for people to understand. I mean, even whenever I first um, reached out for help, I was always afraid nobody could relate to me. Um, But like I think Nick had mentioned a a second ago, um, once you get past that initial asking for help, like you'd be surprised of how many people's willing and what they're willing to do to help you. to, to get where you want to be, to, um, to lead a productive life, um, for society, um, for your family, for everything. I mean, it's just amazing the things that people are willing to do, um, that can relate to you that have been down that road, the same road that you, um, you're, you're struggling to get off of. I see it all the time in the recovery community. I don't think I've ever seen someone in recovery say no to someone else no. who's trying to get clean and sober. I don't think I've ever seen it, you know? As scared as I was to do a podcast for the first time, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely was not saying no. Awesome. And you know what? I'm so glad you're here because your voice is a gift. I I can just, you're, you're committed. I, 
Thank you. You've done the work. You can hear it. I, your words are very thoughtful and intentional. And um, I think our listeners are going to be able to hear that very, very clearly. Um, Nick, your passion, your empathy, um, your care. I mean, Amanda, I know you're walking alongside people. So you guys, the work you're doing, the way you're giving back makes a difference. And I have a feeling I'm going to be calling on you guys in the future um, because I think it's imperative for each person, each person in our community to understand addiction. Because as soon as you understand it, as soon as you put a face behind someone who says, you know, I started using it such and such age, whatever the story is, my life was great, my life kind of sucked, but this is when it started or my family history. And yet my life unraveled, you know, and then this work that it takes just to keep clean and then how do we invest in other people and, and how do we use these lives that are precious that were given to us to make a difference in this world? You know what I mean? I mean, it's just cool. And as soon as you meet someone who has walked that road and you see their commitment into someone else's lives, into making this world a better place, I think that it motivates everybody. Absolutely. You know? um, and I'm sure even on a future podcast, you guys can talk about, okay, these were kind of the messages I heard when I was a young person. What what might have been helpful if I would have heard something different? Or, you know, I think some of those things are probably worth us talking about, you know. So I'll tell you what, I think we're probably out of time. Um, anything last you guys want to say? No, I just want to say thank you again. Um, you know, every every morning I say a prayer to God just to, uh, just to help me help his children and Apparently, this is what he had in store for me today. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I just want to say thank you for the opportunity and for anybody out there listening. If nobody told you they loved you today, I do. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you very much for having us on. Great, guys. Okay, I'll tell you what. Listeners, will have the podcast where you normally will watch. And I think we'll put up some community resources in case anyone needs help. We have community mental health. We have PFCS, Crisis Line. We add his board. We have some great resources. If you're struggling, you know someone that's struggling, call those numbers. And uh, we have great people um, professionally, as peers, as uh, just brothers and sisters in this thing called life that kind of want the best for you. So thank you guys for coming today and uh, catch us on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and visit our website at adctusk.org.